Yes, it's the place to be for all things franchising. Hello everybody and welcome. Today's topic is protecting your asset. And we're going to be addressing two areas, one of brand protection and one of patents. Um, it's, a, it's a topic which is very relevant for many people and uh, which many people are lacking awareness of. Um, what I would suggest today, because there'll be some interesting notes here that we're going to have shared, make sure you've got a pen and paper, um, because I think there'll be notes you want to take. And as ever, for our members of Franchise Simply, the transcript of this Franchise Radio Show will be available in our members' vault in a short while. So um, just to, to crack on, what I'd like to do is to introduce you today to, to Christopher Matiga. Chris is from Legal Vision. Legal Vision's uh, an inspiring organisation that we work closely with. Um, they are actually Australia's fastest growing legal service provider. They offer a high quality, cost effective solution for Australian businesses seeking legal assistance, advice or documentation. And there's a synergy because rather like Franchise Simply, their modus operandi is very simple in as much as they operate online, often remotely, meaning they can work quickly and maintain efficiencies. Um, Christopher works with business owners and franchisors, helping them grow their brands nationally and internationally, and often advises clients who are in the early stages of their business, helps them come up with clear brand protection and strategies, which is critically important, um, and uh, leads on to registering trademarks. Christopher, welcome. Lovely to have you here today. Good to be here, Brian. Thank you. Is there anything I've omitted in your bio you'd like to add, just to round things off at all? No, I think you've pretty much covered it, thanks. Okay, fine. Well, a few questions to run through. I know this will be very interesting. Um, so, first off, I, I suppose the obvious one, what's so important about protecting a brand early? I mean, that's a, it's a very good question, um, Brian. I think, you know, it, it isn't something that is often front of mind for business owners when they're starting their business, but... You know, we often suggest and advise our clients that they have to think about their brands um, as as they would any other asset in their business. You know, it's and it's an important asset. It represents you know a lot of hard work and and often a lot of money and investment. Um, the brand a business uses uh, generally is the face uh, of that business to its consumers. So having a recognisable one is important. But it's also even more important to, to protect that particular brand. And uh, doing this in the early stages uh, of your business means that you can avoid others trying to copy you uh, and to, you know, secure the asset if you want to expand at a later date. And as your brand and business grows, you know, it becomes important for financial success. And uh, if you have that bedded down early, it makes you uh, more competitive in the marketplace as you grow. Right, that's a very clear and precise uh, explanation. As we all know, I think all the listeners will agree, brand today is what it's all about. Everything you do is encompassing your brand, so protecting it is so so critical. So there's a number of different options you have when it comes to you know protecting your name or people's views of that. What what are the options actually that are there for for brand protection in Australia, Christopher? Well, uh, you know the, the the most common starting point for businesses. Um, whether or not you're a sole trader, whether or not you're uh, setting up as a as a company, a partnership, uh, the most common starting place is uh, is to 
register your business name, or if you're setting up a company, you obviously register a company with ASIC and a company name. And you know that's one particular way that people go about trying to uh, protect their brand uh, when they start their business. However, you know that, that's not often the most effective way to protect your brand, but it is one option that you know generally everyone takes when they're starting out. Um, the next the next stage from there really is uh, is to go down the more formal route of uh, actually trademarking your brand. And, and this is something that's different in relation to uh, setting up your business. It's, it's not the same thing as, as, uh, as registering your business name. It is a completely different exercise. Uh, but what it does do is uh, it gives you exclusive rights to, to use that brand in, in any way that you see fit. You know, it, it allows you to use that brand uh, in your marketing material, in, on your website, it allows you to then potentially license that brand or franchise it at a later date. Uh, so that's, that's kind of the extension of just setting up your business and choosing a business name and then registering it. From there, you really go to trademarking, and that's what the real protection uh, is around. You know, that, that's really where you can protect your brand. Right, okay, and we'll lead into that in more detail as we go through this conversation that we're having today. So what are some of the more common misconceptions that uh, people in business have about brand protection, Christopher? Well, I think you know, that, kind of, that kind of leads on from, from what we are just saying about registering and, and, uh, and choosing a business name. You know, the, the most common misconception that, that I think people have out there is that registering your business name or your company name, um, you know, that, that that's enough protection for your brand. And many people think that by registering your business name uh, that you get uh, exclusive protection to that particular name, but it doesn't provide you um, with the same level of protection as a trademark. You know, trademarking gives you exclusive rights. Uh, to the use of your brand. A business and company name, in contrast, uh, only gives you rights to those names in relation to the business name register or ASIC register. Um, it doesn't provide exclusive rights. And what that means is that, you know, other people won't be stopped necessarily uh, by, you know, choosing a similar brand name or a similar business name or company name as long as it's different enough for ASIC to accept uh, when they do the application, that they generally can get it through. Uh, so it, it doesn't give you that exclusivity that a, a trademark can give you. You know, um, Trademarking really is the only way to protect uh, your specific brand on an exclusive level. And, uh, and I think that's you know, commonly a, a, a misconception that people have when they go and set up their business and choose a business name. They think that that business name registration is going to protect them across everything they're doing, and, and that's not the case, unfortunately. Yeah, actually, there's some very high-profile examples that, that, that appear from time to time. One of the classics in Australia is uh, um, uh, is with... Um, uh, I've just lost my wording here. I'll come back and edit this in a minute. Yeah, is, yeah okay, I'll come back. It's with Hungry Jacks. Um, when Hungry Jacks were, were, um, were established, in fact, it was Burger King. Burger Correct, King, yeah. rights, the rights were bought from America 
and in actual fact they found it was already registered. I think it's somewhere like Alice Springs or somewhere the name was registered and the person wouldn't forego that registration. So they had to change the name to Hungry Jack. So it can have a big impact on your protection, uh, well, no doubt about it. So um, I suppose that the question this leads to is why does trademarking your brand help protect the business for the long term, Christopher? Well, you know, again, as I was just saying, you know, I, I, I feel like, you know, I, I'm repeating this, but it is important. Um, as I said, trademarking is the only way, really, that you will get exclusive rights to your particular brand and that brand that you trademark. When you have a registered trademark, you know, it, it, it allows a business or an individual who owns that mark to then enforce that mark against others who, you know, might try and copy it or replicate it or do something that's, you know, very similar to what, what it is that you've registered. And this means that you have legal rights to your brand that you can rely on when, when you're trying to protect it. You know, the, the Burger King uh, situation is a, is, is a relevant example of that where someone, you know, can go and register, um, you know, a, a similar trademark to one that you may have registered. And, you know, without your trademark being registered yourself, it's going to be very hard to try and fight that. From a business perspective, um, owning a trademark is like owning any other asset in that sense. You know, it's important to the business to have that ownership clear. And if you ever want to expand or ever go through licensing or franchising, trademark ownership in that respect is, is you know, imperative to secure the brand. You know, when it comes to franchising specifically, owning a trademark uh, to your brand really is the only way that you can provide security to your franchisees around your business because they are likely to be buying your franchise because of the goodwill around your brand or how well known, known it is or how you know how it's perceived in the market. And if you're unable uh, as, as a business or a franchisor to show that you have exclusive rights to that, then it, it can be very difficult to to go out to the market and, and sell that particular brand to franchisees. That, that makes sense, particularly when their, their, their purchase is scrutinised by their advisors, albeit legal or accounting and so on. Yeah. So what, what's involved in that trademark process? I hear often people who, who perhaps attempted to do it themselves, been unsuccessful and so on. So perhaps you could just give us a little bit of an outline from your point of view as an expert Absolutely. in this area. Just, just what actually is involved. I mean, it's actually a bit more complicated than it appears to at face value. And, and, and you're quite right, Brian. We, we sometimes get clients to try and uh, do, the, do this themselves, and, and, and rightly so. You know, there's a lot of information out there, especially online these days, that uh, can help guide people through the process. However, you know, there are a number of steps involved, and it can be quite lengthy. Um, and the process itself, you know, from, from start to finish can take around seven months. And, and what that looks like is, uh, if you come to someone like me or, you know, another, uh, lawyer who does this sort of work, that generally the way that they go about it is they do what's, um, called a pre-file assessment with IP Australia. Now, this is generally, uh, a, a pretty good and important step in the process because what happens is, is we will go to IP Australia for, you know, the, the particular owner of the brand and we'll submit uh, their particular trademark that they want to register and 
you know, that trademark gets examined by IP Australia and within five days we get a very clear indication as to whether or not uh, IP Australia is going to accept that uh, application and, and, and whether or not there's any issues that might be flagged. And those issues can range from a number of different things. You know, the most common ones that come up are that, uh, that it's the particular brand that someone wants to register or a business wants to register may uh, be very similar to one that's already registered or you know, another, another uh, issue that tends to come up is that IP Australia forms a view that, um, that that particular brand name uh, is common already in, in the marketplace or it's common in uh, its use uh, in, in Australia, even if it's just uh, online. You know, if people are, are using a particular word that someone might want to uh, register as a trademark and, and IP Australia's investigations show that uh, it's being used already in a, in sort of a, a relaxed way or just around in different you know, forums online or uh, social media, then sometimes they can knock back that particular name. But that first step in the process is a very good way to find out whether or not your particular brand is going to be accepted by IP Australia. And it's also a cheaper process than going through the entire application. So it's, it's efficient, it's quick, it's uh, relatively cheap, uh, and it gives us a good indication uh, whether or not we should go to the full application stage, which is the the second part of that process. So what happens after we pre-file is we go, uh, provided that we get a, a positive response from IP Australia, we go into the full application stage. Now, that's when IP Australia uh, examines the mark for a period of five months. So it's it's a long time that it sits with them. Now, there's a number of reasons for that, and unfortunately, there isn't much that we can do as uh, as owners of brands or lawyers to make that fa make that any faster. So we're, we're stuck with the timelines that uh, are dictated by IP Australia, unfortunately. And then uh, we get a report from IP Australia afterwards. Uh, if everything's fine, uh, then it can go to the final stage of the process, which is registration. And this is important because what happens after the five-month period uh, with IP Australia is that if everything's fine and they accept the application, it then goes to advertising. And that advertising period is for two months. Now, what this means is that your trademark or brand uh, gets advertised um, for other owners of marks to uh, potentially look at and see and to make a decision as to whether or not they think that the brand or trademark being applied for uh, might infringe on their particular trademark or brand. And if they believe that that's the case, they can then raise an objection to that particular application with IP Australia and then IP Australia notifies uh, me or one of the people in our team or, you know, the the owner of the particular trademark um, directly, and then they get a chance to respond, and it goes back and forth between the parties, and then eventually IP Australia makes a determination as to uh, who, who uh, gets the trademark. It's that particular process... Um, 
the ejection process doesn't really happen all that much. Uh, we do warn our clients that it can be a possibility though, uh, just that uh, they are prepared for, for that uh, potential uh, that they might actually have to go through the processes of uh, you know dealing with another party or third party who is claiming that their particular application uh, might infringe on their rights. Um, if that happens and then you know we get through the process and uh, everything works out for our applicant or you know you don't go through the ejection process and things just move smoothly straight through to registration, the mark is then registered for 10 years and the owner of the mark can then uh, renew that registration for a further 10 years on an ongoing basis. There are no limits. You can you can keep registering that mark uh, every 10 years for a 10-year period. Right. Is there a limitation to the number of trademarks you can register? I mean, there are someone's logo, someone's name, that sort of thing. What are the parameters? No, no that's a good question. You know, we often get people asking us whether or not um, they should register their name or they should register just their logo. And it's really a business decision at the end of the day. I mean, some uh, some owners prefer to just register their name. Um, others prefer to register the logo if it's a very distinctive one. Um, or they might register both. And uh, it comes down to a number of different factors, you know, one of which, of course, is, is money and how much someone wants to spend on, on these sort of things. Um, but another thing to think about is, you know, often when you're starting a business and uh, you're going about coming up with a brand name or you're coming up with a logo, um, you know, that logo can change over time. So, you know, often people decide to just register their name if they're really sure that they're going to keep that for a long-term basis and that gives them exclusive rights to that particular name. If, for instance, they decide not to go uh, for registering the name and they just register a specific logo, and then in a couple of years' time they decide that um, you know they, they, they want to rebrand or they want to freshen it up, um, they'll then have to re-register that particular logo um, that they change to. So you know it it it, it can be a bit of a, um, a double handling in some ways when people register just their logo. Um, if you register your name, on the other hand, um, you, you can be afforded a bit more protection because it covers everything that you do with that particular name. Um, you know, the, the logos um, do tend to get through IP Australia a lot quicker if they're very, uh, very distinctive and uh, something that stands out. You know, there's, a, there's uh, less opposition generally to someone's specific logo than there might be to a name that may uh, may have similarities to other names out there. Uh, so sometimes businesses choose to just go with their logo because um, they feel like that's more more distinctive and, and makes their brand stand out. Okay. So something like Brumby has been around for 25 years or more now. Every five years they seem to do a refresh or a rebranding um, their marketing. They change elements and they certainly change their logo. Now, whilst they've got a 10-year protection on their original one, do they then have to resubmit the amendment? What's the process there, or do they have to start again? They have to start again, unfortunately. You don't. <laughs> IP Australia um, doesn't allow us to amend uh, 
to amend an already registered trademark. You know, you can't you can't go back and and sort of tweak it. You have to go through the process again if you've um, if you've made substantial changes to the mark. You know, or even minor changes. Really, you, you have to go through the process again. So someone like Grumby, if they do an update uh, on their particular logo, then uh, chances are they'll have to uh, go through that entire process again. Um, you know, sometimes businesses either don't realize that this is the, what they should be doing or they choose not to do it from a cost perspective. You know, the other thing to think about as well is that aspects of these brands, um, you know, uh, you know, McDonald's might be a very good example, for instance, where um, obviously they, ha they have the, the, the trademark McDonald's, but then, you know, every single one of their products is pretty iconic as well, you know, a Big Mac, cheeseburger, etc. So something like a Big Mac or that name or any logo associated with that, McDonald's is very likely to trademark that as well as just the McDonald's brand, you know, because there's obviously uh, a, a lot of uh, goodwill and also value in having that particular uh, brand and name registered. So, you know, registering your brand name uh, is... is, is one aspect, because as the business gets bigger, as as they develop more products or services, as they come up with you know uh, potentially different uh, savvy and individual names for each of their goods or uh, products that they're offering, um, as they become uh, bigger in the market and more recognisable, they tend to go and register those individual names and brands uh, as well as just their business name. Wow, so they could have a library, a literal multitude of yeah. registrations. Okay, so exactly. let's into then. Um, thank, thanks for that background there. So it leads me into saying, perhaps you can elaborate a little bit, what can go wrong if you don't trademark your brand or or indeed if you don't do it properly, if you, you, you make a hash of it and don't complete the exercise? What, what, how, how are you vulnerable? Well, I think it, it, the best way to explain the potential pitfalls here and is, is to actually start with, you know, talking about what can happen if you don't, if you don't do the process properly. You know, as I said, it, it's a seven-month process, you know, and a lot can happen in seven months, um, especially when you're starting a business. And so, you know, a, a lot of the time we have people uh, who come to us who have started the process as in, you know, got, gone through the first step, which is, you know, made their application. They never followed through um, to the registration stage, and that's really important because you can apply a few trademarks and it can sit there for the five-month period with IP Australia, and then they will notify you uh, that your registration is coming up, you know, and there's a second payment that needs to be made to uh, IP Australia at that point. And if you don't do that, and if you don't finalise the registration, then your application lapses. So you have zero protection. And that happens quite a lot when people are managing the process themselves. You know, it's, as I said, you know, when you're starting a business, it's probably not a priority for many people to be focused on uh, keeping an eye on a very uh, mundane administrative process run uh, run by IP Australia, it, it, they're, they're usually focused on building their business and you know dealing with clients and dealing with customers and selling products or services. 
you know, these sort of things kind of fall by the wayside, but um, they can have pretty big effects as, as your brand grows. Um, so, you know, if you do the application, but you don't do the registration, it falls away, you have no protection. And that kind of leads us into what can go wrong. You know, unfortunately, in, in these situations, um, as brands develop, and get more popular uh, in the market. Other people might see that brand, um, and unfortunately, they you know we often find people try and replicate uh, popular brands or try and rip them off. And and if they're savvy about it, um, and they're keeping an eye on on uh, what you're doing or what competitors are doing in terms of having trademarks registered or applied for, um, they can watch and see whether or not, you know, you actually follow through that process and go from application all the way through the registration to protect your brand. And sometimes we find what happens is when people don't do that process and they uh, and and their application lapses, competitors can jump in and then apply for those similar marks. And it's a very difficult process after that to then go and object to those sort of applications. You can do it, but it takes a lot of time, quite a bit of money, um, because you then have to essentially go from the back foot uh, and try and enforce your right uh, to that particular brand um, when you haven't got it registered. You know, you have to rely on on other uh, measures to prove. Uh, your right to that particular brand and you don't have the protections that are offered by uh, having a registered trademark. So it can be it can be very difficult. It can also be quite an emotional process for some people who um, you know spend a lot of time and money in developing a particular brand and you know through no fault of their own have uh, you know just not really uh, followed th- followed through with the process and, and been focused and busy on everything else that running a business means, and you know, unfortunately, they can find themselves in a position where other businesses or other people take an opportunity to uh, register a very similar brand, if not the exact same brand. And if they haven't got the protection there before them, uh, it can it can be very very difficult. Yes, and there are people out there. Um I, I remember seeing it when I was in Perth, uh, making a fortune out of spotting when mining leases expire, and they'll get in an hour after someone's lease has expired or their option, and lo and behold, a massive and highly valuable asset has been lost. And uh, it happens these days with domain names. And I guess, yeah, just the same way, trademarks as well. There are people, not just competitors, there are people who see a chance of acquiring something and selling it for a higher price, literally holding it a ransom. That's right, and you know, domain names is a good example of, of where that happens uh, a lot. Um, but we're seeing more of it happen in the trademarking space as well. And you know, not not to uh, not to sort of go on too much of a tangent, but you know, franchises especially, uh, especially as they expand, um, and any franchise that looks to uh, maybe go overseas eventually. Um, there are certain jurisdictions outside of Australia that are well known for this type of behaviour and can uh, really, really make things difficult for businesses um, who want to expand 
overseas because sometimes there are, you know, for, for lack of a better, a better word, um, predatory uh, businesses or individuals out there who will try and get in uh, and register a similar brand, if not the same brand, in other jurisdictions uh, before uh, a business from Australia or before a franchise um, is able to go and expand into that area for the, you know, for the exact purpose of trying to make some money very quickly um, and try and sell that back. Uh, to, to the uh, particular owner of the brand. Yeah, I mean the classic, I think, of uh, exploiting someone's brand awareness was uh, was Woolworths back in the early stages of the 20th century, when in South Africa and Australia, independently, different organisations registered the name Woolworths. Uh, Woolworths was famous worldwide because of their uh, their chain of stores in America. Yet there's absolutely no connection between them. So. Uh, Yes, you've got to be careful. So, just quickly though, you mentioned that overseas. Um, what, what's the jurisdiction in, in Australia? I mean, how far does it cover you? Does it give you protection in any 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 other territories and so forth? So, trademark rights are, are, are regional. So, um, unfortunately, um, when you when you apply and register for a trademark in Australia through IP Australia, that just protects you uh, in Australia. So that means that you know when you're going. Uh, overseas, if you want to want to go to the US or New Zealand or China or any of these uh, other jurisdictions, you then have to register in those individual jurisdictions. Now, that there there are some options around how people can go about doing that. You know, there's uh, essentially the same process that you go through here in Australia, which is you you do a direct application. Um, with the particular governing body in that jurisdiction that you're going to and there are different guidelines for each jurisdiction about uh, how and and uh, and how you go about actually uh, applying for your trademark or you know what parameters you must meet uh, in order to be uh, able to register a trademark and you know, some jurisdictions have different qualifications than Australia uh, another option, though, is, is um, you know, if if a franchise or a business is looking to expand to a number of different jurisdictions at once, um, there is something called a Madrid Protocol application that can be made. And, and uh, w- without going into too many boring technical details, um, what what it allows you to do is you can apply for more than one jurisdiction all at once, and that's very helpful for for businesses that have identified uh, more than one jurisdiction overseas that they're looking to enter at, at a particular time. Uh, it can be more cost-effective as well, uh, as opposed to applying uh, to each individual um, jurisdiction. You know, By doing the Madrid Protocol, you can sort of just tick the box uh, and uh, select all the different jurisdictions that you want to be covered in. And uh, and that's something that we help clients with often. You know, it's it, it's something that uh, can be done um, a lot quicker than doing a, a direct application with each individual jurisdiction that you want to go into. Right now, just as a motivation for our listeners, then as we uh, as we go towards wrapping up. So, if we look at brand protection generally and, and trademarking, how does it actually add value to the business? And I suppose the point there as well is. This, this matter you raised about people being aware of expiring 
trademarks and also of modifications they've made, which perhaps unwittingly aren't registered. Uh, what's the sort of, you know, how does all that add to the value of the business to make it, uh, make it a value to people? Sure. I, I guess, you know, to come back to where we started, really, you know, it, it's important for businesses to, to really just look at trademark and, um, and brands generally as any, like any other asset that they have in their business, you know. Um, it's, it really should be viewed as something that uh, holds that sort of value, you know. Uh, it's protecting your brand is like protecting any other asset you might have. For many businesses um, and franchises especially, it can be their most important asset, you know. It's, it's something that uh, many franchises, for instance, uh, and, you know, retail businesses as well, have built their business on, you know, it, it's it's what the consumer sees, you know, when they think about a particular business, they think about that particular brand or, you know, the logo that that brand uses, uh, you know, it, it's something that is worth protecting for that particular reason and building a solid brand that is recognised uh, and successful is, you know, how many businesses uh, look to expand in the future. Um, brand recognition is, you know, as I said, it's what brings customers through the door often and, and it will also bring potential franchisees to franchisors. You know, it's something that leads people in. Um, this means that, you know, it, it needs to be protected and, and, and the best way to do that really, uh, is through registering your trademarks. And as I said, you know, ha- having your trademark registered uh, for your particular brand and business um, gives you that exclusive right. And if one day you decide to sell your entire business or your brand, uh, you know, or you decide that you may want to franchise it, um, and your brand is a recognisable brand, or you know, it's some, something out in the market people uh, are familiar with, and you have that particular name or logo registered. Uh, much of the value in the business and, you know, the sale price is likely to be associated with any purchaser or any franchisee uh, wanting access to that particular brand. So, as I said, like, it, it really is like any other asset that you uh, that you have in your business and it, and it really should be treated like that. Excellent. Well, Christopher, thank you. It's been delightful speaking with you. I really appreciate it. We're indebted to you for giving us so much of your time and I'm sure everyone will join with me in saying it's been a privilege having the opportunity to get to know you a little and hearing your words of wisdom about this often misunderstood topic. So if people would like to learn a bit more about this particular aspect, um, is there some way they can get, get in touch? Yeah, look, absolutely. You know, um, you know, if you're looking to grow your business or you have any other questions or you just need a bit of advice, on, on what you can do to protect your brand, uh, Legal Vision and me in particular would love, would love to hear from you. Um, the best way to do that is to, you know, perhaps get in contact with uh, Brian first, uh, who will get an understanding of what it is that your situation is, and he'll introduce you to us. Uh, from there, you know, we're more than happy to offer a free consultation with one of our IP and brand protection lawyers. Um, and they can answer any questions you might have about trademarking or, you know, protecting your brand generally. 
and also get an understanding of you know what is your goal for your business and in terms of expansion or franchising or you know anything really we're a full service firm so you know we can we can offer help in a lot of different areas excellent that's very generous so that, that's a lot of good advice and good information thank you for that Christopher so if anyone does want to contact me in case you're not familiar with it my contact number is 1300 960136, that's 1300 or email brian at au, or of course there's the website. So um, before we close, is there a final point or observation you'd like to make, Christina, to add to your reams of knowledge you've given us today? <laughs> Look, I, you know, I, I, I often have people ask that question and clients especially and I think the one point really that is is the most important is um, you know the earlier you start with even just thinking about how to go about uh, protecting your brand uh, and uh, you know potentially trademarking uh, the better because if you start early um, ideally before you you go to market too soon. Um, and you protect it at that point, it, it really does provide you with security uh, and ongoing security. You know, it, the, the most difficult situation that people can find themselves in is if they leave it to, uh, to sort of consider how to protect their brand uh, after they've been operating with that particular brand for a while. Uh, it, it opens them up to um, to Potential issues about you know with competitors trying to take that brand or or, or trade off of it, uh, and no one wants someone else to sort of utilize their hard work. So the earlier you, um, the earlier the, the earlier you think about brand protection, really the the better, and it saves you money earlier than than trying to fix the issues later. I'm sure everybody that rings in everyone's ears. Anyway, saving some money is important. So that's fantastic, Chris. Thank you so much. This, this is Brian Kane from Franchise Simply signing off and looking forward to being with you when we have our next Franchise Radio Show.